Welcome to Builder Funnel Radio. If you are a builder, remodeler, or contractor, this is your go-to resource for business growth strategies, as well as marketing and sales tactics. On this show, you'll hear from industry leaders, construction professionals in the trenches, and from our team of digital marketing experts here at Builder Funnel. If you're not growing, you're moving backward. So we want you to always be in growth mode. Let's get started. Hey, welcome to Builder Funnel Radio. This is episode 49 with Ferris Esselbaugh. And in this episode, we talk about scaling design build companies. Ferris has actually done this four different times with four companies in four markets. And so um, he's a very marketing minded uh, person. So we talk about marketing and sales and kind of figure out operations later. And so that uncovers some interesting tidbits, some discussion, and I think you'll really enjoy this episode. Again, stay tuned for episode 49 with Ferris Esselbaugh. Hey, Ferris, thanks for joining me today. Hey, glad to be on the show. Uh, You're really looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. And uh, I'm excited because uh, a lot of our listeners are design build remodelers, and you've actually been able to grow four different design build companies in four different cities uh, over the last decade or so. Uh, and then if I remember correctly, you've sold three of those off and still involved with with one of them. But uh, before we get too far down the path, like how did you get into this whole world of design build? Oh, geez. You know what? Uh, about uh, 11, 12 years ago, um, my brother and I were just dabbling in online marketing and uh, we were helping a friend out. And, uh, you know, we realized that we were generating a lot of leads uh, fairly um, efficiently uh, from a cost perspective and from, from a time perspective. Mm-hmm. So we realized, well, hey, you know what, if we're doing all this work, we might as well try to, you know, start a company around it. I mean, <laughs> uh, <laughs> look, looking back, I thought it was a lot easier than it's going to be, but uh, it's definitely been a great journey ever since. That's interesting. Yeah, I think I've never heard that answer before. Most people kind of fall into construction because they were carpenter, they kind of work some odd jobs. And I was like, Oh, I really love this. But, but you came in from the marketing side. That's pretty interesting. And so, well, let's talk about that first company then, because I bet that was a little bit of a shocker as you got, you know, like, Oh, I'm a good lead generator. Let's start a business around it. You know, what were some of those initial hurdles that those first, you know, year or two? Oh, geez. Uh, where do I start? You know, <laughs> <laughs> so Vancouver General Contractors um, was the first company, and I mean, some of the hurdles, like, like I, uh, you know, everything from you know cost estimating to operations to just even like you know understanding the terminology. I didn't even know that gypsum board was drywall, right? <laughs> uh, you know, my I guess when I reflect back, one of my one of the funniest stories is, uh, you know, we, we secured a job. And, and looking back on it, it's because we severely underbid uh, on the job because <laughs> we just didn't know what we we're doing. And, and, sure. and it was like a $60,000 job, but it should have been like a $300,000 job. But anyways, <laughs> so yeah, it, it was bad. But um, when we secured that job, obviously, I didn't know much about the industry. What, the first thing that I did was um, bring a contractor that that I interviewed over to Home Depot to help me purchase some materials. <laughs> and, uh, and he, and, you know, I remember just like really trying to figure things out. I had my, my, you know, my notes and everything. And, and the contractor looks at me, points to my forehead and starts laughing. And he's like, man, he's like, you're thinking so hard right now that you're breaking out in a sweat. And, uh, <laughs> 
And, and, and that's what it was, right? Like my whole motto, uh, I mean, our whole motto was like get sales and figure everything else out later. And it's sure. always kind of been that way. But I mean, the hurdles are just like just building a construction company, not being in a, not being from a construction company, but being a really good sales and marketing person. So like, like, I mean, the hurdles didn't stop after year one or two. I mean, sure. you know, I was talking to somebody the other day, like, like we lost millions. So we're like in, in year 10 now and we, we lost millions, like, up until year seven and eight, right? Because we're making all these mistakes, but instead of running away from them to uphold our reputation and our name, we always paid out of our pocket just to make things right and fix things and move on. And, and it hasn't been just until like the last couple of years that we, you know, we started making some money. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, that's super interesting. And yeah, I would imagine though, on the flip side, not coming from the construction world, maybe gave you like one or two advantages, or maybe you were able to see something a little bit differently. Do you do you feel like there were a couple of those moments? Absolutely, right? And it's, it's you know, uh, not being from the industry, um, you know, the, the, the saying is, is, you know, think outside of the box. Well, we were never in the box anyway. So yeah. <laughs> we, 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 we were outside of the box already to start with. And, and we always took a different approach. It was always about how do we make things more innovative? How do we make things more efficient? How do we make things more streamlined? And, and those were always our main concerns over anything else, over making money or, or whatever be it. And, you know, my group and I have always been fascinated with the tech industry. So we kind of took like a tech approach with uh, start with the problem, reverse engineer it and figure out systems and processes to make it to, to, to not make it a problem anymore. And, and I truly feel like, you know, if, if, if we came into it from the other way, which was from growing up in the industry, we would have probably been set in our ways. We would have probably just done what we were taught to do. But, um, as and I like to think we're pioneers of the industry in design build specifically because design build really just kind of um, emerged maybe like the last ten or fifteen years with the emergence of new technology to allow you to to be able to take care of design efficiently in house as an example sure. and and allow you to to um, you know uh, purchase off-the-shelf systems like a Salesforce or or a Builder Trend uh, to tr- really tie everybody in because the true design build model and i don't mean like design like everybody's a design build right now but not everybody's a true design build right because a true design build model means you have design in-house you have architectural Mm -hmm. technologists architects in-house not just sub out to a designer and call yourself design build so it's a very heavy overhead model and these systems these off-the-shelf systems like the builder trainer salesforce really streamlines communication between each other to make them more uh efficient and, and, and that's where you are able to have like a massive overhead. Like, like my office right now, our burn rate is 200 grand a month. You know, like, like what yeah. do we got to sell? We got to sell something like, um, uh, like 500 grand a month to break even, yeah. you know, as an example. So like prior to 10, 15 years ago without these systems, like nobody could ever even imagine having that kind of a burn rate in design build renovations specifically. Right. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, and kind of uh, shifting over to the marketing side a little bit, I know um, that's your background. So you're able to like scale that side of it and then figure out the operations, you know, after the fact, I guess um, one of the things I hear from a lot of remodelers, like the internet produces a lot of junk leads or, you know, you get all these calls. And so I'm kind of curious, you know, how do you approach these leads that you're generating, even if like that initial 
inquiry doesn't really sound like it's a design build project or something that you want to do. Yeah. You know, this is a funny question for me, right? Because I'm a member of like different Facebook groups and, you know, and, and whatever. And everybody's always got kind of the same comments about these lead generating sites or whatever. Oh, all their, most of their leads are crap. Yeah. Well, duh, that's how it's supposed to be <laughs> in the sense that your qualified lead rate is never a hundred percent. Totally. You know, it's, it, it's, so in our instance, it's 30 to 35%. And, and so if we use 30% as an example, that naturally means out of 10 leads, seven are going to be garbage. Right? Yeah. So the three that are qualified is what you're after. And so I think a lot of people just don't really understand how this, how this really works. And, 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 and essentially as a marketer, I understand that a qualified lead rate of 30% is actually phenomenal. Right. And I mean, uh, so I guess, uh, sorry, what was exactly your question about that? Yeah, I guess, um, you know, if you get an inquiry and it doesn't quite sound like it's the ideal project, you know, how do you approach it? Because I think most people would just kind of dismiss it, right? They're like, oh, maybe I won't even reply or I'll just like try to get them off the phone really quick or, you know, that's... Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. yeah, so what we do is we'll refer them to, um, like in Canada, we have something called homestars.com. It's maybe like an Angie's List or uh, or like a, maybe like a home advisor a little bit, a little bit of a different approach where it's like they you have to review contractors and it's a lead generator for them. Sure. And And the reason why we refer them is simply because... Yeah, we're trying to get them off the phone really quick without seeming without coming off like arrogant, right? Like like we've got that before, right? Like when we tell clients, like, look, sorry, like this doesn't really qualify for something we take care of, they actually get mad at us. Like, oh, right. like you think you're too good for us? And well, no, it's not really the case. It's just we've got business to take care of and we've got to move on, <laughs> you know? So so what we do is we'll just refer them to to um this website and at least um we're, we're giving them a hand in, in finding what they're looking for. You know, like, like consumers aren't really that educated in our space, right? Like they think, they think the guy that works out, out of his pickup truck does the same job as a design build firm who does the same job as, you know, um, whoever else, right? They don't really understand that there's different kind of um, categories in renovations and different kind of companies that take care of different things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm glad you kind of mentioned like, hey, out of 10 leads, you know, three might be qualified because um, one that that says the majority of your leads are not going to be a good fit, which is the case uh, could be even higher. But then even out of those three, it's not like you're guaranteed to get all three of those even. So then you're looking right. at, you know, a further, you know, uh, close yeah. rate after that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But the great thing about our industry, like our average job size is about $100,000. The great thing is, is it just takes one of those leads um, to get, you know, to get what you're looking for, for that month. Right. Or, or to like pay for your marketing budget and some, right. Absolutely. So it, it's, it's a lot of education, but also, um, I think at least owners of design build firms have to understand that because I, because I have a sales team, right. I've got a sales team of like four or five and in 10 years of doing this, it's, I always hear the same thing from them. We're getting, we're getting not enough qualified leads. And it's always the case, right? They always want more qualified uh, leads. But then when I kind of step back and, and pull up the data and really figure out what it is, it ends up always being the same, 30 to 35% qualified leads. But you know what? Sometimes they come in waves, right? So like if one of my sales guys gets seven of those unqualified leads in a row, well, naturally he's going to say, I didn't get anything well. But it's like, it's all about the bigger picture. And I think what people need to really understand is, you know, like a really good marketing plan um, not need, not only needs a, a good strategy behind it and, and good execution, 
it needs time to mature. You know, like a lot of these guys will, you know, uh, sign up with like a home advisor or something. And, and I don't know anything about home advisor. I've never used them. So I'm, I'm, I'm not, uh, I don't really understand them, but as an example, they might sign up for home advisor for two or three months, not really, you know, get all the, you know, realize that, yeah, most of the leads are garbage and just kind of give up on it as opposed right. to try to figure it out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think that's an awesome point. I mean, there's some element of just like letting it run the course and doing a little bit of testing and tweaking and optimization. Um, and then sure, you may find out that you need to deviate, but you then you may actually have just given it enough time to go, oh, now that we've got enough data, this actually is working, you know, okay, whereas yeah. that initial batch, you know, so, and I kind of want to talk about, um, you know, as you went into like that second city or second company, you started expanding a little bit. Um, a lot of this industry relies on word of mouth referral. Obviously, you weren't able to do that going into a new market, you know, so what was kind of your approach uh, from a marketing and sales standpoint, launching kind of into those new areas? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, we really put heavy focus on the brand uh, because the brand is the only way that we can kind of circumvent, um, you know, not having a reputation in the community, not having um, a network in the community. But the brand can portray as if we've been there for a long time and have all those things. Sure. So a lot of it was, um, you know, the, the, the congruency in the names that we picked versus what we actually did. So as you notice, you know, a lot of my companies typically start with the city name and then general contractors. You know, we have Vancouver general contractors, Ottawa general contractors, Calgary general contractors. And the funny thing is, is whenever people realize that we haven't actually been in the city for much longer than a year or two, they always say, Oh, well, how did you get that name? Or, Oh, all your success is because of your name. Yeah. Like, you know, they completely forget everything else that went into it. Right. Yeah. But so the brand, the name, just really like putting out a lot of content online. So people reviewed us or, or searched us online. They'd find pieces of, um, you know, content in different media outlets with different, uh, different, different kind of pieces of content to make them realize, oh, okay, you know what? Like these guys are pretty legit. Right. And, and, and it's really easy. It's much easier in our industry than any other industry, especially five, 10 years ago, because I mean, in our industry, people are very, very uh, slow to getting caught up uh, to digital marketing. Yeah, so, absolutely. You know, you, you had all these reputable companies out there uh, that, you know, as soon as you Google them, all you can really pull up is their website. You know, nothing in the different, um, no other content with different blogs, no other content with maybe even review sites, no, nothing really else. No, no video marketing. Like that, that was actually big for us too. Like videos that we literally took with, um, that ourselves, you know, maybe I can't remember. I think there were like more professional cameras that we used, but like we didn't hire a professional photographer. Sure. All we really did was, you know, take a nice video of one of our sales guys that was going to a new city and just get him to walk around a basement renovation that we just did. And then like that automatically positioned us as experts. Yeah. Right? It's, it's, it's fun funny how that works. Yeah. You kind of, <laughs> you, you talk about things that are very normal in the industry, but 
their expert knowledge to the consumer because they have no idea. So yeah, it's like, yeah, take a look at this laminate. It's scratch resistant, mold resistant. And you know, we only go for the 12 millimeter because that's the really good stuff. And it's yeah. just like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, wow, yeah. And yeah. then all your competition hates you because they're like, well, they're not saying anything special. <laughs> you know, yeah, so. no, nothing. And, and yeah, and that kind of stuff comes natural to us, right? Where, yeah, I mean, that was that was like a long time ago. I mean, that was like five, ten years ago where, you know, people weren't even doing any Google, weren't, you know, on Google My Business or anything like that. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, so basically you, you started with that brand name where you captured kind of the location and that was a big element. But then you started just creating content online as a way to generate leads. Was there anything like specific in there? terms of where you blogging on your own site doing guest blogs was it facebook ads kind of what were your go-to tactics i guess to to start generating some initial activity to get some sales momentum yeah so google i would say google ads is definitely the main driver uh that was what was funneling in uh traffic to our website and then uh having a high converting website was 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 the other kind of key strategy there so uh, we always came out with, you know, probably one of the better websites in the industry within that city. And and then they just make the phones ring. And then after that, all the other content that I just kind of talked about uh, was great for uh, when clients would do their due diligence and try to find out a little bit more about us, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe maybe a big part of it was our uh, our our inexperience and pricing and we just were underpricing everybody else too. <laughs> so who knows, right? But um but yeah, I think it was a mix of all that. I mean, the the best example I can give you is in like 11 months in Calgary, we did 2.1 million in sales. That's um, awesome. Yeah, that that was great. I mean, we obviously it wasn't it wasn't all great. Uh, I mean, it was great that we did 2.1 million in sales, <laughs> but then the challenges were okay. Well, now we got to build 2.1 million dollars right. worth of <laughs> right? Without it, without any network or anything. So, so that, I mean. There was a lot of successes, but there was, there was obvious, there, there were some failures too, to be honest with you, you know, and it mostly usually came from the operations side of things like sales and marketing. We've never had any real failures. We were always really good at it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, I mean, there's always going to be failures, right? And you got to learn yeah. from those. And uh, obviously your strength is in that sales and marketing side. I'm kind of curious because it seems like uh, you're kind of doing things a little bit differently than a lot of people in the industry on the sales and marketing side which I think has benefited you greatly. Um, did, how did you think about marketing from a budget standpoint? Did you, were you shooting for a certain percentage or, you know, how did you think about it? Cause I think a lot of guys are spending, you know, 3%, 2%, 1% or, you know, even lower um, of their total revenue. And I think that's just not getting them where they want to go. Yeah. You know, so it's funny. Um, Maybe this is not the best advice, <laughs> so so everybody be cautious. I never really figured a certain percentage on what I wanted my marketing spend to be. Okay. The main metric I followed was my cost per lead. Gotcha. And and it was always to make that a little bit more efficient. And on the earlier days, it was two hundred dollars a lead, and now we got it down to a hundred dollars a lead. And in terms of a budget, I never really cared because if I was generating, you know, a hundred dollars a lead. Um, all that really took me was, you know, one big job to pay from basically my whole marketing budget for maybe that month sure. um, or, or a few months, depending. And, and we were always of the growth mentality mindset. And, we, and obviously, marketing is the main driver of growth. So it didn't really matter to us uh, how much we're spending as long as sales were, were following. 
right? Um, I mean, now, um, obviously, my main job is cost control because we're spending 200 grand a month. So it's, <laughs> sure. it's, it's, it's a, there's a bigger picture there. But we're constantly innovating with marketing, right? Because after we hit a certain plateau, it's like, okay, well, let's open the floodgates and let's get more leads and then let's get more leads and let's get more leads. And now what we're doing with marketing is just like, not just innovative for the design build construction world, it's just innovative in the whole marketing kind of stratosphere. And um, so, so kind of playing around with that kind of stuff uh, has always been fun with us. But the thing is about marketing is it costs money to play, right? Like, for like, sure. like my, my budget right now is, in, is roughly about 25 grand a month. Um, but that's just like, that's basically like me, you know, um, kind of without a marketing department. Like I, I, don't, I don't like hiring a marketing department. I've tried it a few times. Um, every time I hired a marketing department or a marketing person, they either uh, left me to work for a competitor or uh, ended up leaving me and taking what I taught them and starting their own company. So it's just like, you know, and, and a lot of our marketing is automated anyways. So sure. um, for the most part, I just let it do its thing. Yeah, that's cool. Well, and, uh, and you said kind of one of the metrics that you focus on is cost per lead. Are there a couple of other metrics that you feel like you're always kind of keeping an eye on to know like, hey, things are going well, or we need to look at some things and make some corrections? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if we're talking about Google AdWords, for example, like the click-through ratio or click-through rate and whatever it is, the CTR, um, is, is one of them. But like in terms of like daily metrics, just to monitor the health of, of, you know, the traffic coming in. Um, I always check out, you know, number of visitors versus, um, you know, yesterday or last week. Uh, I always check out the average time per visit. I check out the balance rate. Um, I also check out just how many leads were generated, you know, um, those are just kind of typical ones. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And how often do you think you're looking at your analytics? Is it daily, weekly? It used to be daily, but I don't, I, I barely look at it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I just look at sales per month. <laughs> yeah. If that, if that number's working, you know that you're, you're good to go. <laughs> well, you know, like honestly, like my job now, I mean, I don't really run the day to day. I've got a general manager that runs the day to day. So just for people to get an idea of the size of my organization, we've got about 25 full-time staff and probably another like 40 like subcontractors. Um, so um, I'm looking to be, actually launch a technology company focusing on software that helps contractors and renovators become more efficient. Um, but I guess sometimes I want to poke my nose and, and see what's happening. And, and, and typically that usually revolves around uh, the leaky hole in the ship, right? So sure. marketing and, and, and marketing has always done well for us. So it's just like kind of been on the back, it's kind of been you know, pushed to the side because it, it does really well and it's automated and sales being the same thing. So I find a lot of my time when it is spent in the company is having discussions with my general manager, my operations manager on how to make the client experience in our operations department um, more efficient and profitable, right? Like when you're talking about a, an operations department that has to um, uh, manage 50 to 60 active projects with another 20 to 30 in our preparation pipeline for launching. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts that happen there. And, and there's a few kind of variables that we have to control. We have to make sure, A, we're making money. We have to make sure our resources are lined up. We have to make sure our team that, that, that is responsible for uh, project delivery, which is basically our operations is motivated and excited. And, and, then, and then it's a client, making sure the client experience is kind of tied in just so we can make sure we can get referrals after 
right? Yeah, so, absolutely. so a lot of my time has been mostly in operations. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I think uh, operations can definitely suck up a lot of time and effort, but uh, obviously you got to nail that part. Uh, yeah, well, because like, uh, like I, I would say for the first seven years, um, we were more about growing the company and, and just getting more sales because sales meant cash flow. And uh, the great thing about like a true design build renovation company that does like millions is it's a cash generating beast, you know? So you never really needed to focus on making money to a certain degree in the first few years. But what you really needed to do is buy yourself time to build the right team, build the systems, build the processes. And then once all that's established, then it's like, okay, let me figure out how I can actually start making profit out of it. And that's where the operations side of things, you know, sales walks the, walks the profit in the door and, and, and operations kind of is, is, is the one that makes it happen. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And, and I think a lot of guys, you know, they're listening are trying to get to the next level, whether that's from 1 million to two or two to three or three to five um, or north of that. And I guess I'm curious because you've scaled through that process pretty quickly and in, in multiple instances, were there certain revenue levels where you feel like that kind of like you had to re-break systems and then build them back up again. You know, you kind of hit these tiers where you're like, this just isn't going to work. Now we need a new system. Did you find that happened at certain intervals? Hey guys, just a quick announcement before we get to the rest of today's episode. We've been getting a ton of feedback on our done for you social media program. Now, if social media has been a frustration of yours or you feel like you're not posting enough, this is the perfect solution for you. And as a listener of the podcast, we've got a special promotion going on right now. So just head over to remodelersocialmedia.com and use the code radio at the checkout. So if you want to get more engagement and more people finding you on platforms like Facebook and Instagram, hit pause really quick and check out remodelersocialmedia.com and use the code radio at checkout. All right, back to the show. Um, that's a hard question. I, I, I mean, I could say like no and yes and give you good examples on both sides. <laughs> sure, not a clear <laughs> but, answer. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, but honestly, like the, the quick question, not necessarily because I truly believe the design build model and the approach that we take uh, is built for scale. Sure. So, so you know, if you, if you sell more your jobs, hire another project manager, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you generate more leads, hire another salesperson. But obviously as you add, um, you need to build systems and processes because, you know, now you've got multiple team members as opposed to just one person. So actually, just, and, and it is a yes or no answer to a certain degree. Yes, you need to, because now um, when you have four or five project managers and you're paying them, you know, $80,000 to $100,000 a year, you want to know what are they doing? You know, it's not just as simple as just like go manage this job. And, and, and so you have to kind of create systems and processes to not only make sure that they are being productive, but just to make sure they're being efficient and really delivering on the client experience. So yeah, along the way, you, you'll always have challenges and that's just normal. I mean, business is basically um, a series of answers to complicated conflicts, right? Like that's what yeah. a business is. It's just a systems of answers. So along the way, as, as your system is kind of... Um, when it's operating at full speed and you're getting a little shaky, you got to create things in place to just kind of make it more efficient and work properly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great point. Um, well, and, and I know when you and I had talked a few weeks ago, you were talking about, um, this toolbox engine and, uh, and kind of what you were doing with that, I guess, 
it sounded like that was one of the things you used to generate some initial leads. Is, uh, do you want to talk about that a little bit and kind of share the, the concept behind that? Yeah, absolutely. So, so the whole idea of the toolbox engine um, was to provide me with um, a predictable business. And what a predictable business means essentially is if I know how much money I'm supposed to make at the end of the year, so predictable profit, I can make strategic decisions uh, for the organization, whether it's uh, for investments to you know um, grow the um, you know to grow the company's portfolio, or whether it's to make strategic hiring decisions to continue to grow the company. Um, it, it, in my opinion, it'd be very difficult to to make those kind of decisions if you didn't know how much money you're supposed to make at the end of the year. And when I really, when we reversed engineered predictable profits, we realized there's really kind of four main components and it starts with marketing. When you have predictable leads, right? Like let's say I know that my automated marketing engine will bring me a hundred leads a month. Okay. Uh, when I have predictable leads, I will have um, predictable sales. Because I know from my 100 leads, 30 are going to be qualified. And then from that 30, let's say my closing rate is um, you know, 20%. So I'm supposed to close six jobs and I know my average job size is 100 grand. So then that gives me $600,000 in predictable sales for that month. And then I know that predictable revenue. So some people are going to confuse, well, what's the difference between sales and revenue? Well, sales are signed contracts. Revenue is turned over projects, right? Like a 100K basement reno is not revenue until you finish the job and you collected every dollar and paid out every dollar. So that becomes predictable revenue. And then your revenue becomes predictable uh, profit. So essentially what it really is, is just like a true business model where you can understand your numbers and understand how much money is going to come in and out, right? How else would somebody be able to sleep at night with a $200,000 a month burn rate, you know, overhead? Uh, without knowing how much money is coming in uh, monthly and quarterly and, and then annually. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah, and I think just breaking it down, you know, as you said, it kind of all starts with marketing because, you know, that flows to sales. Nothing happens until something gets sold. So, you know, you're not going to have operations until you sell something. Um, and so, yeah. yeah, in a way, if you start at the top and you just kind of reverse engineer it and just go, okay, well, if I... I need this much in sales and I, or I have this much overhead. How much do I need? You know, yeah. you can back. Yeah, exactly. It's it pretty over. simple. You know, like yeah. all you got to do is make sure more money's coming in than more money going out than money going out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What uh, a concept, and, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I have this thing and maybe it's just like being in the construction industry for 10 years. Like I trade, I try to take like really complicated um, things and make them really simple because you know, in this construction industry, I mean, you can really get lost in the complication of, of the technical aspects of construction. So I really make things really simple. So, I mean, the best way I can explain it to most of the listeners, and, you know, I, I imagine most of the listeners probably came up in the industry from a trade or, or whatnot. Um, you know, renovations, construction, at, at its core, it's all numbers. You know, like how much, how much do I have to cut from this piece of lumber so I can make it fit in this corner, right? Yeah. You got you to count it. Everything is numbers. And, and, you know, why do, and that's what engineers do. You know, they, they, they calculate a bunch of numbers to make sure that this concept, this bridge that's designed is going to work. And same thing goes for business. I mean, everything is really numbers. And if you really find that magic formula, um, 
you know, that's when the magic really happens, right? Because then you can make educated decisions based on these numbers uh, to truly reach that goal that you're trying to as an outcome. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Just boil it down to the numbers and then, then you've got that target. And so then it's activities that are going to lead to the numbers and and you're off to the races. So uh, you mentioned uh, that you're working on a technology company. I'm curious, can you share a little bit more on, on that and what you're up to there? Absolutely. So I'm calling it ProScopes, uh, ProScopes AI. So it's the first cost estimating and proposal tool that uses artificial intelligence to provide users with data and insights to become more profitable. Very interesting. Yeah. And really, I mean, at its core, what it is, is um, a cost estimating tool with templates. So you got like kitchens, bathrooms, basements, custom homes, you press your template. It's got a bunch of predefined line items and then you put in your quantities. But the cool thing about it, and and it's got like a a really good uh, kind of way to display proposals to clients. So one end is cost estimating, on the other end it's like a really professional proposal. But the artificial intelligence part is what I'm really excited about because um, the tool is gonna allow the users to uh, have insight into key data. Like uh, for example, if you're constantly coming in um, under or over budget on your plumbing line items, then you're gonna get uh, notified by the tool that, hey, you know, uh, 20 out of the last 30 scopes of work that you prepared have come in under, just to kind of put it on your radar, right? And then once it's kind of on your radar, you're going to be able to be empowered to make sure you focus in on that line item, whether you start upping your unit costs or whether you start doing walkthroughs with your plumbers just to make sure you're dotting your I's and crossing your T's because you know that this is an item that you have difficulty with. Just like like, uh, stuff like that. That's awesome. Yeah. And I would imagine, I mean, that's something people could do manually. It'd be a ton of work, but if you keep feeding the data into the system and it just starts analyzing all your past deals and looking for those opportunities, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Like we, um, so it's, I guess it's a 2.0 version of like a really complicated Excel tool that we've, uh, that we've been developing the last 10 years that allows us to pump out scopes of work really efficiently, really quickly, um, and, and, and is displayed really professionally. Right. And, and I say that because, you know, everybody's pain in the butt in the industry is doing all this free work and all this free time, um, into building scopes of work or estimates. Now, the problem is, is if you rush it and you miss details, that's money out of your pocket that the client's probably going to try to make you pay for, um, in the operation side of things. Right. So having these predefined line items, actually puts the user in a reactionary mode where they're just removing items that they don't want instead of providing them an empty template and having them try to think of items they need. You know, you're more likely to forget items that you may need as opposed to looking at an item that you don't need. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Well, that's super cool. Uh, well, hey, Ferris, I, I've got a few more questions for you. But before I get to those, I guess, how can people connect with you or maybe learn more about this new tool you're working on? Um, you know, where do you want to direct people if they want to learn a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, I'm on Instagram. Uh, so my handle is at I-A-M-F-A-R-E-S. So it's I am Ferris. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, Ferris Elsaba, F-A-R-E-S, last name Elsaba, E-L-S-A-B-B-A-G-H. Um, that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, uh, I'm not really out there as much as I probably could be, but 
I, I think I kind of like it like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in some ways that's nice, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, hey, I've, uh, I've got a few more questions. This is a segment of the show. We're calling the Fast Five. So it's kind of some rapid fire questions. Um, so first one, favorite business book and why? Steve Jobs. I get in uh, Steve Jobs' book is I get inspired by real people who do real things. And Steve Jobs always been that kind of like, um, that dreamer that, that, uh, conceptualized different ideas and nobody else believed in him, but he believed in himself and he bet on himself and he executed. And then, um, you know, is basically his legacy is going to be, uh, uh, going on forever. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good one. Very cool. Um, who's the most inspirational person in your life? My mom. <laughs> right on. So, so um, we came to North America as refugees when I was like five years old. And my mom instilled um, a hardworking work ethic in me and my brothers and set the bar really high and, and just kind of built this course and this destination for us and just make sure that we were following through. You know, when I was a young kid, I, I got in a lot of trouble. Uh, I was always the kid that hung out with the bad kids, but I always did well in school because my mom would beat my butt. <laughs> <laughs> so she, she kept close tabs on me and she made sure that I was always on the right track. And, and you know, I, I owe a lot to her. That's awesome. Very cool. Um, all right. If you could have one superpower, what would that be? I'd fly. Fly? Always, I'd fly. Yeah. I've always get dream. I always have these dreams of me flying in the air and it's always so cool. And I always like, you know, sometimes I just imagine myself being able to just kind of jump in the sky and going wherever I want. Yeah. That'd be super nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Uh, well describe yourself in three words. Oh, geez. Um, determined, persistent, and grateful. Cool. Good ones. All right. Last question. Uh, if you could leave our listeners with one piece of advice, what would that be? You know what? Life's short. Follow your dreams. You know, give it your, your best shot. And uh, as long as you're taking steps forward and taking shots, things will work out and they'll happen for you. But, you know, sitting back and just regretting or wishing or thinking about what could have happened isn't going to get you anywhere. Yeah, that's great advice. Well, uh, well, Ferris, thanks. This has been fun. And I appreciate you joining me today. Yeah, my, my pleasure, Spencer. Thank you, man. I'm a big fan of your show and appreciate you having me on here. Yeah, anytime. All right. Thanks so much. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Ferris Esselbaugh. Again, we dove heavy into kind of marketing and sales. And I like his approach because if you don't sell anything, there's nothing to build. And he definitely has the focus on that, that marketing engine that's going to drive the leads. And then, of course, that flows into sales. So let's talk action items. A couple of things that I pulled out from the episode uh, one of those was actually just knowing your numbers. And so knowing, you know, how many leads does it take to get to a sale, but then also knowing that half step, which is, hey, if you get 10 leads, how many were qualified? How many were actually legitimate opportunities? And I think sometimes we get stuck in this thought process of, oh, I closed, you know, two deals. Well, two of them were qualified. Well, maybe four of them were, you just ended up losing those deals. And that's different. So I think it's really important to know your leads number your qualified leads number and your sales number. If you know those metrics, then you can start pouring more into the top of the funnel. Um, so the second thing I would say is break down and figure out what your current cost per lead is. So run those numbers. Um, Ferris threw out a couple of benchmarks there. He said initially they were at about 200 bucks a lead. And now that they've really optimized their system and they've gotten really efficient, they're at 100 bucks a lead. So I think just knowing where you stand on that then you can run the math and say, hey, my average project size is X, my average cost per lead is Y. And if I say I get 10 leads and I close two or three deals, you can start to see if this engine is working. 
and then work to accelerate it. If the numbers are working, why not grow that? Because then, as Ferris said, add a project manager, add a designer, you can, you can fill in those pieces on the operation side. So I think those were my couple of takeaways is figure out your cost per lead and figure out your conversion metrics so you can walk through those numbers all the way through. Uh, again, thanks for tuning in, guys. I hope this was a great episode for you, and we'll see you next time on Builder Funnel Radio. Hey, guys, thanks for tuning in to Builder Funnel Radio. I know there are a lot of podcast choices out there, so it really means a lot to me that you choose this as one you either subscribe or listen to regularly. Now, before we part ways for today, I have a quick favor to ask you. If you got some value out of today's episode, please either leave us a review or share this with a friend. We're really working on building a community of construction professionals that wanna treat their customers right, they wanna run profitable businesses and create more jobs in our economy. So leaving a review or sharing it with a friend really helps us build that community and we'd really, really appreciate it. All right guys, that's all I've got for today. So we'll see you next time on Builder Funnel Radio.